This is episode number 177, Conversations on Mental Health with Brian Forsyth. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lokid, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to make a few quick announcements. First one being an invitation to our upcoming call called Courageous Conversations. This is something that we started a few months ago with the intention of bringing our community even closer, as well as creating a space for each and every single one of us to be able to not only better understand ourselves, but also those that are walking next to us. If you would like to know more details about any of these upcoming calls, please leave us a message through our website at overcomingodds.today. The second announcement that I'd like to make is in regard to our upcoming event called Survive to Thrive, A Parent's Journey. This is an experience that we've been wanting to put together for a few months by now with the intention of creating a space for other parents to be able to come together and relate as well as understand each and every single one of the journeys that they've been on as well as the lessons and the takeaways that they've learned through the hardship including COVID-19, as well as some of the other circumstances. If you'd like to know more details about this upcoming experience, please visit our website at overcomingodds.today forward slash events. The last thing that I would like to mention is if you have liked any of the previous episodes and continue to enjoy the content that we put out there, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google, so more people can hear these inspiring and courageous conversations. Now, let's get back to the show. Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, welcome, Oleg. Or thanks, Oleg. I really appreciate you inviting me on, and it's really a, an honor to be on your show, and uh, you do such good work, so I appreciate you, you, uh, you know, bringing me on, and uh, you know, I appreciate it. Absolutely. No, thank you. Thank you for being a part of it. It must be interesting to be on the other end of it, right? <laughs> Considering As you can that... tell, I messed up that whole intro. I was like, where am I? Yeah. I get caught up in that land sometimes too, because having been in this position and that is asking the question, sometimes the brain doesn't switch fast enough. And so when you get asked a very simple question of who are you or what do you do you kind of like i don't know how to answer that (laughs) that's funny do do you find do you find yourself what have you learned about yourself throughout this journey of kind of being on one end and that is interviewing and asking the questions versus being on the other oh i um it's really been interesting because you know one of the things I have always struggled with was, you know, listening more than talking. I talk a lot and, you know, especially if something is like really interesting for me, 
so one thing that I, I really had to learn is to just, you know, not, not be so interested in adding something and, and a lot of times really trying to uh, feel the value of what, what people are saying. And, um, you know, because sometimes like I had this idea of like where I want things to go on the show mm-hmm. and I have just, I have learned to just relax and just to, to let it go, to let that go. And so it's, it's really been kind of a powerful, uh, experience for me, um, to, to grow, you know, cause I've had to grow very quickly. The, the show is moving and, and so it's been really amazing to, to really see that growth in myself this you know revaluing of you know somebody else's path and plan mm-hmm. uh, you know because i'm kind of a control freak i'm a, I'm a little bit ocd <laughs> welcome to uh, the club <laughs> <laughs> so um so it's been really powerful i uh, i've really enjoyed seeing the growth in myself and you know and, and valuing people's stories even though they you know, just, just life. Because the thing about Radically Unstuck is that you don't have to be like a really, you don't have like, <clears throat> you don't have like a thousand, you don't have to have like a thousand, you know, followers or whatever. Like I'm, I'm open to anybody who has a story and wants to use their story to help others. Mm-hmm. And so all kinds of different people come in. I mean, we had a, um, we had Will Pounder, who is an AVN, uh, you know, uh, adult video superstar. And, you know, some people would be like, well, what's he going to, what's he going to bring? But it was one of the most powerful episodes. He was, you know, nothing you would have expected. Um, he was super bright, super like researches, really knowledgeable about, you know, many different things. The adult superstar thing is, you know, completely, it's a thing that he does, but it's not who he is. Um, and, and so he, you know, he brought what he knows. I mean, he had his own personal struggle with depression and some really crazy struggles with depression. Um, and so, you know, just, just the number of people coming that, uh, you know, are, are bringing their stories and, and, you know, and helping people. It's, it's really mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's a lot to be said between everything that you just mentioned and that is, really this concept that I've been trying to embrace within my life as often as I can. And that is not everything deserves your opinion or not everything needs your opinion. I remember for the longest time in thinking that everything that I heard or everything that came across my plate, I had to respond to, I had to add some sort of input in order to feel valued. Mm -hmm. And in reality, what I realized in over time is that that's not always the case. Sometimes there are situations where nothing needs to be said because there's, um, there's an interesting film that I watched a couple of weeks ago and we'll probably rewatch it again this week just because of how powerful it is. It's called a thousand words with oh, wow. Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I believe it's I, on I Netflix. Mm-hmm. And that film is really j- what stood out to me in particular was this concept that words do have meaning and do have power, but, so often in life, some of us just use words without any meaning. So we, and it's kind of interesting to me to live in the society that we're in right now, 
one of the challenges of social media, I believe, is that it doesn't allow the space to fully embrace the awkward silence. Mm. Rather, there has to be a response. It has to come fast. And, and if there's nothing said, then there is that awkward thing that comes in. And so I, I get curious <clears throat> quite a bit about like, why does that silence have to be awkward? When in reality, in my opinion, it's actually within that silence that your thoughts formulate. And that's where I think true wisdom mm. becomes. I think Viktor Frankl actually spoke about this as well in a lot of his work. The, the power of, of um, holding your space mm. before choosing to respond. Yeah, yeah thinking about um, holding your space and, uh, and patience um, which really is what it comes down to. Like we're mm -hmm. all like, so, you know, um, I think of Sid Hartha, you know, and the guys asking him like, what do you have to, to, to offer? Like, you know, cause he was basically like a, you know, just a waif on the street. And he's like, I can wait, you know, I can, I can fast. I, essentially he has self-control mm -hmm. and, you know, it really, uh, you know, with, with today's 24 hour news cycle and, you know, the, the instant gratification of, of, you know, that is social media. Yeah. Uh, I blame Google because Google is instant. <laughs> <laughs> you know, saying like you can type in anything to Google. Like I wonder how to spell this, or I wonder what that <laughs> is. And Google spit it out for you. So I think Google, I blame Google, but, um, but the, uh, but the, this instant, you know, gratification, um, you know, it, it totally saps our interest in patience. And, and what's interesting is patience is, is so necessary for, to learn, you know, yeah. especially if you're trying to learn something, you know, I'm a musician, I play drums and, and a couple of different other instruments and, you know, uh, patience is integral to, to being able to, to learn anything. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, you're always going to have the struggles. You're every, at least my experience has been is that there's always a learning curve with everything. And I know that even the topic you and I were talking about prior to hitting the record button was this concept of journaling. Man, talk about patience, <laughs> right? Sitting there with yeah. a book and trying to complete a page or three pages, depending Ooh. on the routine that you follow. There's a lot to be said between that. But I think there's so much beauty in that space where you can hold it and be patient with the process. That's where I think the true realizations actually come out. At least that's, that's my experience has been. Yeah. I, um, one of the things that I have, I have done is to, to practice writing, like almost trying to disengage your thought from your pen and just writing as, you know, like, kind of thinking about what you're going to write or thinking about like a concept about what you're going to write and then just trying to disengage your brain. And when you do it, it's really funny because the first like, you know, minute or so you're just writing gobbledygook. But if, if you can disengage, you're, you will literally start producing content that, that is, is not you thinking, but it's like it's, uh, it's like this free flowing thing that will come out. Yeah. And um, so it's, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of interesting. Journaling is, 
you know, it can be used like that, you know, putting pen to paper. Well, people always say like, you know, the, you know, writing something down is magical. And if you don't do it in, in any way, then you're like, ah, that's, you know, hocus pocus. But, <laughs> you know, there's, there's something about externalizing. And, and one of the things, you know, that I'm, I'm really you know, familiar with is depression. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I encourage people to, you know, as part of their, you know, therapy or, or their, their, uh, you know, pattern in the day to, to write, to write down what they're thinking so that when they get the thoughts on the paper, they can, you know, go over it and they can see, you know, the, the content, you know, what's, what are they allowing to grow in their, what, what I call the inner garden? Like, is it, is it thorns or is it flowers? Mm-hmm. And, and then once you write them down, you know, then you can like refute them and, or restate them. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, I think because we talked, I'm a horrible journaler. <laughs> like, like I am, you know, sadly, journaling is something I'm trying to do. <laughs> you know, sharing my weakness to the world here. I am a horrible journaler. Uh, I, and it's not because I haven't tried. So if you're if you're out there right now, listener, and you're like, man, I'm I need to journal more. I'm with you. <laughs> I need to journal more too. It's a challenge. It's it's. It uh, I think it's just like any other habit that it takes time to develop you the thing that you brought up as far as there becomes a point and i can definitely i've experienced this many times where you're journaling i think what happens at the beginning at least for me is that my thought is ahead of the pen so my thought still kind of dictates what i'm going to write but then there becomes a point halfway through where it it's on the same playing field so the thought goes just as fast as the pen. And I don't know if this makes any sense to whoever is <laughs> listening and you can visualize it, but there's a lot to be said with, within tapping into that process. Um, you know, the thing that you mentioned about depression, I'm curious to hear, when did that first start for you? When did you first realize well, that depression well, was a thing of your life or in your life? Well, honestly, I, when I, when I actually learned about the fact that I was dealing with depression was when, um, you know, I had a, a the, you know, near suicidal breakdown, um, five years ago. Um, I always kind of knew there was something going on because I would have these blue periods and for years before I actually had a break, you know, I would go through these, you know, cyclical, um, you know, things and it was really easy for me to get down and, hopelessness and and all these different things and i mean i had a uh you know uh, it's hard for me to say i had a rough childhood because i know i know your history so i know you've had a you had a pretty rough childhood too so um but i had like mental abuse and physical abuse and uh you know uh with my stepdad and uh you know my mom divorced my dad when i was six and um I still remember that day, honestly, like when I was, when I was six, I remember it felt like, you know, my world had, had died, caught, you know, come crashing down. But, um, you know, so all these different things, uh, you know, meant that I was, I was probably dealing with depression for, you know, most of my life. But then, you know, just as I, I had made it my normal, um, just to kind of keep pushing through and, and pushing through and, not really doing anything about it. And that's, that's one of the things I always try to tell people is that depression doesn't, isn't going to go away, yeah. you know, like 
it's uh, it's something that you're going to have to deal with on one level or the other. And whether it's mainstream clinical psychology, you know, therapy or whatever, or, or alternative methods. But um, so I just ignored it, you know, and then, uh, you know, five years ago, I, uh, I had a, a break and um, had to go through uh, treatment and, you know, so that's kind of, kind of my, my experience in a nutshell. Yeah. I think there's something to be said in regard to this concept of choosing to look for ways to cope and develop different tools and skill sets rather than trying to eliminate it. Cause I don't think yeah. in my opinion, I don't think it's possible to eliminate these things, depression, anxiety, stress. They're always going to be there. I think what ends up happening is that as you move forward through life, you just find different ways to cope. But all of those things, like a friend of mine had said recently, they're like an onion. There's always going to be another layer to it. So there's a lot to be said between, I think, choosing to actively find tools that can help you on the journey rather than thinking somehow one day you're going to eliminate those feelings and processes completely. Yeah, I, I had talked, I've talked to a few people, you know, on the show about like the most important thing is, is when, when somebody finally decides that you're going to do something about the depression, a lot of times that means that they go to the doctor, you know, and they, they, you know, go to a mental health professional and nine times out of 10, the first thing they're going to do once they find out they have depression is try to put them on some antidepressant. And I'm just trying to get the word out that nine times out of 10, when you go to a doctor and you get the antidepressant, antidepressants are not going to cure your depression. They're going to essentially make it easier to see the depressive thought. Hmm. Um, you know, they're not, they're not going to cure it. It's not like an aspirin. It's not like I have a headache. I take an aspirin. It goes away. Um, because, you know, that's, that's not really, you know, what it's, it's about. It's more about, it's going to make you feel better while being depressed. It actually may, may make you more depressed in, in some instances. Um, so just, you know, yes, go and try to figure out, you know, what it is, but don't, um, don't automatically, you know, go with the, the medical route as far as dealing with your depression. You know, cognitive behavioral therapy works, you know, has been shown to work. Uh, in, in most instances, as good or better than uh, than antidepressants. So, isn't that kind of crazy to think about how some of the drugs work, such as aspirin or ibuprofen? Like, I get amused by that sometimes. Just thinking, from the moment that I take the pill, five minutes, what appeared to be the worst headache ever, gone. Just like, what actually happens in the brain? or wherever in their body when that thing dissolves, like what, how is it able to tap into that pain point so fast that I can just go on with the rest of my day within literally a matter of minutes? I don't know. It's, you know, what's really weird is if you ever, um, I did a, uh, I did a, a, a little study in college on, on, uh, on lithium and which is a favorite drug for antidepressants mm -hmm. to be used in antidepressants and this like world-renowned researcher <laughs> on lithium was like we don't know how it works 
<laughs> That's a problem. Which is no work. And I'm like, lithium is like the worst thing. Like it works, right? It works in the cases when it works, but in in countless instances, lithium is like the worst possible solution. And, and this guy is like, you know, yeah, it, it works. I just we just don't know how, you know, like. <laughs> And then maybe they know how in these days, but because this was in, um, this was in, uh, I guess probably 15, well, it's 20 years ago now, because I've been in the Navy for 20, or I was in the Navy for 20 years, and I was in school before that. So now we're talking like 23 years ago. So they, they probably know how lithium works. But at the time, he was like, you know, all we know is it works. We don't, we don't actually know why. So, you know, because you're dealing with your brain, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, you know, that's the other thing that I always want people to realize is, okay, yes, you may go and you may take an antidepressant and it may work, but it's kind of up in the air how long it's going to work, yeah. how well it's going to work, how well it's going to work consistently. Uh, and, and most importantly, if you take antidepressants, you have to sort of rearrange your whole life. You know, you're not going to drink alcohol. You're not going to, you know, it's 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 very restrictive comparatively if you if you're on antidepressants was that a challenge did did you ever take any and if so was that a challenge for you to make some of these lifestyle changes oh man so i was in the navy when i when i had my uh when i was under in therapy and uh all i had to do was just take the pill and the only the challenge for me and the thing that made me like suddenly decide that I wanted no part of of antidepressants and I wanted to be off of them as soon as I could is that one it didn't make the depression go away if, if anything it highlighted it um and two you you had to like I felt like a victim mm. you because know, you had to take this pill every day and and it just I felt like a victim. I felt like a victim. I felt really constrained. It didn't make the depression go away. I didn't really feel any better. Um, you know, you kind of feel a little bit happier, but it's like this weird happy. It's like, and it's not like a good happy. It's not like drunk happy. It's like this, it's like somebody, you know, um, it's like a plastic happy. It's like if you could be happy, but you didn't really feel happy. It's the weirdest, you know, so all of these different things, um, you know, came together for me. And, you know, as soon as I could, I, I got off of them and, uh, and I haven't gone back. What'd I you made do it, then? I made it. How'd you, oh, how'd so, you transition? So, um, so the important thing when I say I got off of them, I want, I want the, you know, everybody to know that if you happen to be taking antidepressants, don't just stop them. Don't listen to my words and be like, I'm going to stop my antidepressants. Don't do that because you have a level that builds up. And once your, once your level is built up, you can't, you can't just stop. Stopping is a bad thing. And, and the and worst thing will happen, one of the things that will happen with people that take antidepressants is they will, you know, be taking them for three months or two weeks or whatever it is. The levels will have built up and then they'll miss a day or a couple of days. Mm -hmm. And then when they go back to it, they'll just take two pills thinking that they've, you know, they'll, they miss two days, so they'll take two pills. And that's a bad, that's bad because now you have this level that you had before and now it's like way up here and now everything's mm. out of whack right so if you take the antidepressants make sure you take them every day take them the same dose if you miss one just stop and you know don't just start back with one don't like add three because you missed three days don't do any of that it's really bad news 
Um, but as far as like getting off of them, you just go to your doctor and say, I want to get off of them and be prepared for the doctor to, you know, not be that interested in you getting off the drugs because, you know, most doctors that prescribe that stuff are, are advocates, you know, um, so you, you kind of wean yourself off and I weaned myself off and then I got really interested in how depression works what depression feels like. Uh, I sort of made it my science experiment um, and I turned toward it. I, um, I told everybody that I knew that, you know, I had dealt with depression, that depression almost killed me. I became like the depression guy. In other words, I made, I made depression my service. I made my, you know, depression became my why. And so I, you know, I, once I had my why, then, and then I also was telling people about it. I wrote the book, you know, Crack the Depression Code. I started doing what I can to help others. Um, and, you know, meditation and, and getting strong, um, strong life rhythms, uh, you know, and just really paying, really trying to work towards um, removing the triggers that depression uses. Because mm. I always, I talk about how depression only has a certain number of triggers. I mean, if you're you know if you're if your mom died and you, you're you're depressed, then you know it's when possible if you can. Not not saying it's easy. Nobody's saying you know depression is easy. But if you can work to to remove some of the pain of you know the event or events, then depression sort of loses some of its some of its, you know, pressure that it can, that can apply to you because, you know, it only has the triggers essentially that you've given it, that you have, you know, so if you can work to sort of, you know, lessen those triggers and, and know those triggers and be aware of those triggers, uh, then, you know, it's a lot easier to, to, you know, shrink your depression down to this tiny little, tiny little voice. Mm-hmm. It's probably different case by case from one individual to another, but in your case, so you can maybe give a, an example to some of our listeners, but what, what are the triggers for you when it comes to depression? Um, you know, mistakes that I've made, um, you know, the uh, really, really mistakes and um, you know, where I am in life uh, versus, you know, where I expected to be, um, you know, things like that. Like, you know, just things that, that I haven't done or should have done, my mistakes, my, you know, the things that I haven't completed, um, you know, those, those types of things. Not, not, uh, not being a good father sometimes, you know, I hear, you know, things like that. I try to be a good father. Sometimes I'm, I'm a better father than others. Um, you know, I also am, am on the autistic spectrum. So, it's, you know, emotions are kind of weird for me. Um, I wish somebody had told me that early in my life, man. If I'd have known that I was autistic or, or had, you know, uh, you know, if I was on the spectrum in any way, that would have really helped me a lot because, all of my life, I always felt like there was something wrong with me. There was, you know, like I just didn't feel the things that, that you know, people did. And I, um, 
and I never really knew anything about it until I got very you know much much older. Um, but yeah, that's uh, those are kind of the things that I I still kind of have to watch to have to have to pay attention, you know, because depression is cyclical, right? So mm. you'll you'll kind of goes. Yeah, and so I have what's called anchors, which is just um, basically uh, like there are three things that I know for sure that you know my my normal is I'm going to exercise, I'm going to you know play drums, and you know I'm going to you know work on my business, right? I'm going to do my podcasting, and and so whatever those three anchors are for for, for you know the listener. Uh, if you know them, like these are the things that are who you are. And when you start seeing them kind of dipping, then you can sort of start paying attention because, you know, you may be moving into a lower state and a more active state with your depression. And so you can kind of, you know, it gives you a way to sort of see, uh, you know, where you are in your, in your cycle. So to speak. Mm. When did, so there are a couple of things that I, find interesting within what you just shared. Um, first of all, this concept of autism and not having um, been point that out <clears throat> when you were younger. How'd you recognize that? Did you recognize that on your own or, or did someone down the road say, Hey, have you ever considered that you might have X, Y, and Z? Uh, no, I eventually, um, you know, when I got married, my, Cause I, I didn't have, I hadn't had, this is a crazy thing. I hadn't had a relationship longer than six months before I got married. And uh, cause relationships, you know, were always a, a problem. And, uh, you know, I just didn't feel you know, my emotions didn't work, you know, like everybody else's maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, as far as like, you know, autism, I, I took a couple of tests and I scored like really low. <laughs> like, like they, they did a, it was this test where it was going to like, you know, it was supposed to highlight how, um, you know, like all of the different character traits and what came out was that on the, you know, um, emotional scale that I was really, really low. And then, you know, dealing with my wife and being married and our interactions, um, I've just had to work at being, you know, more empathetic and, uh, you know, because it's, it's hard to, for me to, to relate sometimes at the things that, that upset people um, because I don't see it like, I don't, I don't, just don't see it. I just don't, uh-huh. it doesn't, um, it's, it's really not fun <laughs> because you, you can't just like turn a switch and just like, you know, you just have to remember situations and remember to respond in certain situations in a, in a certain way. Um, because it just like things that you would be like, Oh my gosh, or, or, you know, like you would, for me, it's like, I have to, you know, and one thing that's really hard is, is, is switching gears, right? Like you're very, uh, like your mind is on this. You ever like you, it's it's just like in the movies, right? Right. Like like a kid that's like autistic, and they're like, because I'm not completely autistic. I'm just on the spectrum, so I have like 
you know, major characteristics and minor characteristics. But if I'm like focused on something and then, you know, like my wife comes up and, you know, is like wanting to be playful or something, like I'll just be like not there. Like I'm just like, you know, on this, whatever it is. And so, um, you know, that's, that's one of the ways that, that you can kind of, that's, that's one of the, the um, characteristics of autism is this, not this inability to switch emotional gears. Mm. How do you relate then? How do you relate in a situation where you know, uh, I don't even know how to communicate this point here. So <laughs> help, <laughs> help me in the way, in the best way that you can. But the thing that you mentioned about there's certain situations where you feel like you can't relate due to the fact that you understand it through a completely different lens. How, how do you create that bridge then between yourself and the other individual or a group of individuals? Um, well, a lot of instances it's because, you know, I know what I'm supposed to do. Uh, you know, what, what quote unquote is normal, you know, if, if you know, and, and I'm not saying it's easy and I'm not saying that I do it, uh, you know, a hundred percent of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was really hard when I was, when we first got married because, you know, I didn't really know, like, because like I said, I haven't had that many, I hadn't had that many relationships. Um, and then suddenly I get married. Uh, <laughs> so, um, you know, this switching gears thing, that's just something that I just have to pay attention. If I'm doing something and my wife comes up or, you know, I just have to remind myself. And sometimes I'm not able to, sometimes I respond, you know, kind of like what, you know, because I'm like, you know, focused and, get very consumed. You get very consumed with whatever it is you're doing and you're just like totally focused and you know, the, the whole switching gears thing, it's, it's just something you have to remind yourself to do. And sometimes you, you don't sometimes, it, mm -hmm. you know, my wife is an amazing lady. Shout out to my wife. <laughs> uh, uh, she's, she's awesome. And I, and I guess to some extent she has learned that, you know, sometimes I'll be better. And, and then, then I, but I also know that, like now I know that if I, if I don't respond well, that I have to go and I have to you know, go apologize and, and tell her, you know, I, I just wasn't thinking, I'm sorry, you know, so, um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of a challenge to, for me in a lot of instances. Do you find yourself having to live a, a lot more intentional life because based on what you just described of having a task at, task at hand, and then noticing yourself, maybe focusing on that task for however long, hours upon hours. Oh, yeah. Do you find yourself that you have to be a lot more intentional with the actions in life in knowing that any, any single one of the actions could be that window where you just going to be tuned in for the next seven hours? Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's one of those things where I have to watch because, you know, I'll end up like, you know, and not only uh, autistic, you know, a little bit autistic or whatever, but, you know, OCD as well. So like, if I, you know, I, I get wrapped up in something and I'll just be on it for like three hours, you know, like these tiny little, does this make a difference? Does this make a I'm difference? the same way. So, mm -hmm. so there's, you know, um, so yeah, living, living with intention and living with, uh, you know, like 
sort of the, the three things for the day that I need to do um, and making sure that I accomplish that, that, you know, what I call the, the, the biggest frog, you know, eating the biggest frog um, early in the day. Um, that helps a lot being able to, you know, because, and also knowing what the, what the problem areas could be. Um, you know, those, that kind of thing really helps a lot setting that out early in the day to be like, okay, you know, we're not going to do this. We're not going to, you know, scroll on Facebook or, you know, whatever, like things are going to be intentional today. And, and that, that helps a lot. Yeah. That's a never ending story right there. The scroll <laughs> for Facebook. That's man. Yes. They, they've designed that in such a brilliant way where you even get, I, I've even noticed that I don't know how long ago, but I think two or three years ago, there used to be a thing when you scroll through Facebook and then when you hit the end of the newsfeed, you know, you get the little window or little bar, it says loading and then, and then it'll load another section today. That's not even a thing. You can literally scroll through Facebook for hours upon hours upon hours without yeah. having it freeze or buffer or anything like that. It's just a never ending scroll. Like it's, it's pretty fascinating actually, if you think about it, how they built that and how just, if you give it the time, even five or 10 minutes of unconscious attention, boom, three hours gone. Yeah. But you know, what's funny about that Facebook owns Instagram. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and if you're on Instagram, you, you scroll, scroll, scroll. Instagram will come up oh, and tell that is you. funny. Yeah. It's like, so they're cool. They're Facebook. Uh -huh. you, can, you can draw all night on Facebook, but if you're on Instagram, you only got this much fella. And then you ain't getting nothing new. And I was like, I guess, I guess that's we're, really we're interesting. Never thought about it that way, but it's true. Yeah, that's, it is true. That's I, how it works. I, I find that interesting that they do that for sure. I wonder why. I don't know. I guess it's because, well, I know why, because they make more money off of Facebook advertising and they get more information from Facebook mm. advertising. And there's, there's really a lot more in, there's a lot more opportunity for interaction on Facebook than, you know, so, so Facebook is their flag. And then, you know, they have Instagram because if they hadn't bought Instagram, then Insta Instagram would be a competitor. Yeah. So Instagram is only exists because they bought it. And now it's like they have it under their thumb and they control it and they're making their money off of it and whatever, but their flagship is Facebook. So they want you on Facebook more than they do Instagram. That's really interesting. Never thought about it that way, but that would make sense. Cause I was wondering the same exact thing. Why is it that when I scroll through Instagram, there's a point where I just hit it. it it's a dead end. That's it. No more newsfeed. You can't go as far as you can with Facebook where I, I really don't want to try it, but I think it would be amusing one day just to see how far you can go with Facebook just by constant scroll. <laughs> I bet it, I bet it would be days. <laughs> I bet it would be days upon days. It would I be. actually don't, I don't think it would hit a dead end. I don't think so. I think you would, uh, I think you, it might scroll forever. Yeah. Literally. And considering yeah. also the number of connections you may have, let's say if you have 5,000, that's a lot. That's the big a lot question is, is if you did, because, because with Instagram, I'm sorry, with Facebook, you're only going to get like, say you have 2000 followers. You're only going to get, I think the number is like 
like if you post only maybe 20% of people in the best case scenario are going to see your, your, whatever it is you posted. Yeah. I don't know what the reach is for, for Instagram. I don't know, you know how that works, but I know that, uh, with, with Facebook, you're only ever going to see like a certain percentage from what everybody else is posting. They're only going to see a certain percentage, percentage of what you're posting. Why is it like that? Do you know? Well, it's, well, they, they want to see the reason why is because everything is ranked. <clears throat> so you're, so whenever you post something, then, you know, everything is going to be ranked and the one that's for ad dollars. You know, if they, if they are ranking, then they, that means that there's, there's a way to win with ad dollars and to, to, you know, exploit that with ad dollars. So that's the reason why. You know, everything is a target market and that's all comes back to ad dollars. So they know, you know, if you post something, then they know what your 20% typically is that's going to see that. They also know about that 20%, what that 20% buys, what it doesn't buy, what it's interested in. That's why they're getting your 20%. That's why they're in your 20%, right? And 20%, that's just a, that might be maybe like 3%, 4%, whatever the number is. Uh -huh. But, you know, that's the reason why. Because if they, if they're only showing it to, like if they showed it to everybody, well, that doesn't help them any. Because they're, the only reason why Facebook exists is to sell, is sell ads and, and collect data. You know, and if they shrink the amount of stuff that anybody ever sees, then they can track all that. You know, so then they filter it out the the maximum content the you know the exact content that this group of people wants then they can charge more for it they can use That's it crazy. for themselves okay don't shoot me facebook all right like <laughs> Duck, duck's gonna send in the freaking gorilla team on me over here wow make sure my door's locked <laughs> that's i i always get fascinated by that just trying to understand how different algorithm algorithms work LinkedIn is the same way. And I, I, I don't know how long ago, but I just gave up this whole concept of trying to understand how it works or what point of the day it works or what time, what minute. I don't think that I, in my opinion, I don't think there's much logic to that because so much of it, it it's up in the air. I mean, not yeah. every Tuesday is the same, not every 7am on every Tuesday is the same. So posting it, at that same exact time every week for me, it doesn't make sense because I mean, look at this case, right? Theoretically it's a Monday, but it's a different Monday. People aren't working today. So how do you take that into account? When are people well, active today compared to last Monday? Well, that's a, and then this is labor day too. Uh huh. So it's like, you know, typically, typically a labor day or something like that. Surely it's going to be different. I yeah. mean, I don't, I don't know. All I know is that to win the Facebook algorithm, um, you know, one, you want to, you want to go through like, uh, you know, every day, at least, at least once a day and like, and post or sorry, like, and comment on, you know, almost everybody that's on your feed for like 15 minutes or so that's known as priming the algorithm. And then once you prime the algorithm, then, when you post that and ideally so this is the cool thing, right? So you post something and you get 20, 
you know, 20, 20 replied, right? And you reply back. And then the next day you go back and you find a, a place where you can post to something at the bottom, right? So you post or you like say, wow, that's awesome or whatever. Uh -huh. Now it refreshes the whole thing and it makes that thread bigger and it also you know makes it more likely that somebody else is going to see it and that you know drives you know the, the best way is to is to post like 15 you know like to, to comment and like uh you know 15 20 minutes before you whatever you post and then you know you're, you're more likely for you know your reach to have been extended huh that's really fascinating that's interesting to learn that I, I'm definitely yeah. going to take that on. Priming, priming the algorithm. That's what that's. <laughs> yeah. And there's so much within this conversation that we dove into just <laughs> different aspects of depression, uh, social media marketing. But I think there's a lot to be learned between what you shared and the story that you chose to share. So I appreciate you for showing up, choosing to be yourself. Um, sharing this lived experience. And with that said, I know that you spoke a little bit about the podcast at the beginning, but what's the best way that people can connect with you? Is it Facebook, LinkedIn, any of the other platforms that you're on? Uh, you can find me at, uh, at Brian Forsyth on Facebook. Um, you can find me at Radically Unstuck on Facebook, Radically Unstuck on Instagram. Um, if you want to check out the podcast, Really, the easiest way is go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash unstuck, and you'll be able to, you know, rate it. You'll be able to check out, you know, any episodes that I have. I think I'm up to, uh, I think the uh, 19th one just dropped um, with uh, Raul Lopez Jr., really fantastic. Uh, and that guy has a story. Um, you know, many, that's the coolest thing is like the people that come, they have stories, they have stories of redemption. They have stories mm -hmm. of, of personal power and, uh, just, just a fantastic, uh, it's, it's honor to be, you know, to listen and to, to hear all these people um, talk about, you know, what, what they've been through and what they've managed to, to accomplish like you, Oleg, you know, stop. That's, that's kind of uh, radically unstuck in a nutshell. And um, speaking of depression, if anybody is interested in, in my book, I give it away for free. Uh, you can find the link on my um, Facebook profile. Happy to, to give it away. Or you can go to Amazon and pay $10 for it. That's totally up to you. Crack the depression code. Um, but I'm happy to give it away for free. You know, just to just to help people and, and uh, you know, make the world just a little bit better, I hope. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, consider subscribing to our podcast so you can receive all of the latest content as well as all of the upcoming episodes. Also, if you like what you heard on any of the previous episodes, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can hear these inspiring conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we look forward to having you next week.